Hey, welcome to the next episode of Made for More. And we are exploring how we can accelerate mobilization uh, here in a pandemic and beyond. Uh, we're walking our way through Exponential's mobilization framework. And there's six shifts that we're exploring. Uh, today, we're going to be exploring shift number three, which is the shift from more guilt to more love. Now, quick review. Uh, if you weren't here in the previous weeks, it's all good. I'm going to give you the skinny right now. Uh, week one, we looked at this vision from Ephesians chapter one of gospel saturation, that Jesus is filling everything every way. And that should be the scoreboard for the church, that we join Jesus and in him filling everything every way with all that he is, to see our, our souls and our cities saturated with the fullness of God. And then the question is, well, how exactly is that going to happen? How how are we supposed to mobilize people to every sector of society? What kind of program do we need for that? We don't actually need a program. Uh, in Ephesians 2, we discover that Jesus has already mobilized his people, that each of us has a masterpiece mission, a unique personal calling, and that God in his love and his wisdom and his goodness, he scattered his people like seed into every corner of culture. So if we can activate them as missionaries and activate them as disciple makers, uh, they'll join Jesus in bringing his fullness and gospel saturation to that part of the city or the region that God's called them to. And this week we're talking about, well, how do we keep people motivated for that? I mean, that that's we're talking about a significant work that God is calling us to be a part of. And I mean, how are we going to keep people pumped up? You know, how I mean, how are we going to cheerlead them to get them to do this? Or maybe how do we nag them into doing this? <laughs> No, today we're talking about the shift that we see in Ephesians chapter three, which is moving from more guilt to more love. There, Paul says that we are to be rooted and grounded in the love of God, that the love of Jesus is an inexhaustible motivation, a well that will never run dry. No matter how much we've had or tasted of Jesus' love, it's only a teaspoon of the ocean. It's always bigger. It's always better. So how do we create disciple-making cultures inside of our, our church where people are diving into that ocean, where they aren't dependent on me to keep pumping them up, but they're because of their uh, way of life of abiding in Jesus, they're tapping into this deep, endless well of motivation that is the love of Christ. And today, uh, my, my partner in crime, Brian Phipps, is back in the house. What's up? Hey, brother. Good to see everybody. You too. And we have the honor today of having Shalom. First of all, coolest uh, first name and Lytic. Shalom, we're so glad you're here. Uh, really looking forward to this conversation with you today. Uh, introduce yourself to uh, the gang here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story, your history, wh where the Lord has you right now. Uh, we're really glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased and um, thankful to be a part of this conversation happening today. Um, so my name is Shalom Lidic. I live in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, my weather is probably better than a lot of y'all <laughs> weather. So uh, yeah, we hit minus Arizona. 17 the other night. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> but I heard that before I was like the blood of Jesus. I am not doing that. <laughs> Um, so I pastor a network of house churches out in Tucson, Arizona, Resurrection Life Church. 
I'm also the uh, multi-ethnic discipleship catalyst for the Wesleyan denomination. Um, I like writing, reading, hiking. I'm a mother of four children. And so that's exciting. They're all teenagers. So y'all pray for me. <laughs> I really need that. Um, so that's a little bit about me. I, um, I, I touch a lot of things. Let's just put it that way. So um, the best way to get to know me really is to like come have coffee with me. And I oh. invite a lot of people to coffee you drink the coffee i have tea because i don't like the taste of coffee sorry well i know we have a couple things in co common in that i love sharing drinks with people yes coffee it, tea or beer all the above yeah and i heard that you like to hike Is i love true? hiking yeah our family's hiked out in phoenix and sedona many 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 times yes. we love it out there i love hiking connecting with god and grounded in nature it's just awesome it is all right. Important question. If you were a Marvel superhero, which one would you be and why? Probably be Peggy. Um, why? Because she's just in the background or coordinating things, making sure Iron Man doesn't lose his mind and become excessive. <laughs> and so, so on the personality test, uh, quick fun thing, because I love personality tests. Because I like to see and figure out how what makes people tick yeah. in different ways. Uh, so there's Marvel's personality test. And really? um, I've seen that one. Yeah, that one is so cool. I use it with my leadership team. I'm like, so which one are you? Because that way I'm like, okay, so you're a little off in this way. <laughs> so um, so yeah. I'm also Peggy in, in the Marvel one because I just like the background. I like coordinating things and just seeing how, how things just play out. Well, I'll tell you right now, Brian looks really friendly, uh, like uh, Dr. Banner, but you, you don't want to yeah, see him when he's angry. You won't like him when he's angry. I'm sorry, you the Hulk? <laughs> Brian Smash! <laughs> I have no idea why he's saying that. No idea on this planet. I'm the sweetest guy. I'm trying to think of who I might be if I was the Marvel. No, I think he's got it right. <laughs> That's awesome. I have a question too. I was doing some, uh, some looking over your information. You've got a blog out there. And um, on that blog, your bio says, I'm Nigerian born. So on the other side of the planet, Belizean raised on the other side of the equator, or at least close to us. So way down South, Jesus lover, pastor, disciple maker, and speaker. Mm. Like you said, you've, you got your hands in a lot of different places. Yeah. Um, but when I read the blog, it also appears that you're a lover of poetry. You had a blog in there that was just a midweek poem that you had posted for folks about being fearless, about getting up and not, you know, having a lot of strength, but being willing to go out to see anywhere. Is, is this a, a regular rhythm of yours? Are you a poetry lover and, you know, starting to move toward our topic today? How does that kind of fill you or motivate you with love of God, love of his creation, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love poetry. I, I read poems every day, at least once a day in the morning. I, after my quiet, the time that I spent with God, with Jesus, I read a poem every day, a poem or two, mm -hmm. let's be honest. It's more than one. Um, I love writing poems and songs. And so, yeah, for me, it's a way to, it just gets my creative juices going for one. 
And I believe in the connection and the connectivity of all things, right? In the way we're all connected, in the way we're connected to each other, but in the way we're connected to God's creation, the tree outside, the lizard that does a push-up. I I love in the way that we're connected. And so poetry for me allows me not only to connect with myself, to connect to the divine, but to also to connect with other people because everyone is essentially having about the same experience, right? And poetry sort of transcends um, all the petty little things that are in between. Amen. Thank you. It's beautiful. And like Brian said, that there really is a beautiful segue to our conversation today. You know, in in Ephesians chapter three, um, Paul basically lands the plane there and says that we need to be filled with the fullness of God. So this vision in Ephesians chapter one of the entire cosmos being filled with the fullness of Jesus is also then intimately connected with our own souls being filled with the fullness of Jesus. So as church leaders, our job is how do we curate an environment that's conducive to that? How do we create tools and pathways Um, Because I think a lot of us um, have, uh, I don't know what you call it, post-traumatic church disorder. There's a lot of people who've experienced, uh, in some ways, lighthearted nagging from the pastor to do the right thing and sign up as a volunteer. Here's a need. I'm going to cost you. I'm going to use guilt. That's the NAG acronym. But some of us have actually um, almost traumatic experiences, if not traumatic experiences, of being in church environments where um, it's not the, the light burden and the easy yoke that Jesus talked about. It, it feels like a 10,000 pound weight yeah. has been placed on our chest to perform. Um, so I would just, you know, if you wouldn't be willing to sort of talk about your journey, one of the things I loved on your blog is you define yourself as the one whom Jesus loves. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as church leaders, we all have a story of mixed motives um, we've all been in dark spaces and motivating people out of maybe narcissistic reasons or our own guilt or our drivenness. Um, uh, if you wouldn't mind kind of unpacking your story as a church leader, you know, um, about your personal journey into the fullness of God and what, what has been, and maybe in particular, some of the, um, if you had to name your dark side, everybody has a, a shadow side of their gift, you know? Um, I, I would just to kind of open it up on my part, you know, it was, um, it was probably wasn't until my thirties that I very clearly recognized for the first time, like it had been a growing revelation for a while, but I'm doing a lot of these things in ministry out of wounds from my childhood. There's things I'm trying to fix by being successful in ministry that, my success in ministry is never going to fix. And I I need to let the gospel speak to my deepest needs, my deepest identity. And, uh, and I had to kind of go back to go forward. You know, I I realized I had this sort of warped image of God where I was um, actually personally operating out of a lot of shame because there was a lot of shame in my home growing up. Um, So I had to do a lot of deep work there and Jesus is still healing me from that. Um, 
share with us a bit of your story. Like what is the Lord bringing you out of to get you motivated on the pure fuel of his love? Um, before we started, I'm like, I'm not going to cry on this thing because that would be awful. Right? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Uh, so the dark side of my gifting is uh, seeking for approval. Mm. And um, it's seeking for approval. And, and God has had to do so much work in that because as a church leader, it, it gets in the way of what God wants to do when I'm moving and leading out of that desire to be approved of, you know, to, to, for people to find what I'm doing approving, approved of, worthy. And um, another aspect of it is because uh, because I'm a church leader as well, God, prior to that, had gifted me with, the... okay, so you know, you know about the A-Past, so I know that you know about the, you know, and, and so one of my spiritual giftings is in the prophetic and as an apostle, right? And so I'm an, a, a prophet apostle. And so a, a prophet apostle cannot afford to be dysfunction when, with approval seeking and people pleasing, mm. right? And so God had to, from the get-go, start to do this work within me where he's like, okay, you are my beloved already, Right. I already approved of you. Um, like everything you need, I got it. Right. And so whatever it is that you desire, come to me for it. You know, I'm the fountain of life that you need. I'm the everything that you need is within me. So stop looking for this other places to fill in your cistern, you know, because they're just all going to leak out. Uh, so that's that's part of that's kind of work that God had to do in me on the early on. Uh, so approval seeking being my dysfunction um, that comes from a deep, a deep wound, right? Cause my dad is a missionary pastor. We moved from Nigeria to Belize on mission. And so I'm a pastor's kid. And let me tell you what, I ran from God the other direction. You know, I was like, <laughs> I'm not interested. This is not for me. And so it was in this place where my life was falling apart, right? Um, I was going through a divorce. My, like everything was falling apart. And I had plunged into a major depression that um, I was suicidal. And I was like, God, if you are real, prove it. Right? If you were real, prove it. And I had sought, I had sought connection in so many other religions, right? In so many other practices, Hinduism, all these other practices, all these other religions, had um, sought God in. And at the end of the day, I was like, God, if you're real, though, uh, I'm gonna need you to prove it. And and so he came, he came through for me. He came through and said, you are mine and I love you. And actually, hiking is something that I enjoy doing now, but it was something that God used to prove his love for me. 
And so now I hike because there's just this, it's a love thing for me and God when I put on yes. my hiking boots and I go outside. Uh, because I remember vividly uh, the day that I had planned that I was going to kill myself. Oh. And I had made plans for my children uh, where they were going to go and how things, I had just prepared everything. And mind you, I did not think that something was wrong with me. I was just like, it just seemed rational. And so I made these plans and God in the middle of the night was like, why not come out with me today? Just go outside, you know, just give me one more day, go outside. And it was just like we were talking right now. And so the next morning I put on my shoes, I went outside and I stood outside and, I, and the sun started rising and God was like, I did that just for you. And I promise you, I believed him, right? I believed him because he said that, I believed him. And so God saying something and us believing him is something that is entirely up to us. And so the next day, God was like, one more day. And so the next day I went out and he was like, that's for you. And so from that point forward, I just kept looking for the highest place that I could see that. And so that's how I started hiking. So because good. for me, I was like, oh, yeah. And, and so that's kind of how I connect with God. It's like, I remember it was 10 years that God did that for me um, a few years ago. And God was like, I was driving and he said to my spirit, happy birthday. And I broke down in tears. Mm. I had to pull over and like, I was just weeping, right? Because literally if he, not, if he had not been for God, I would not be alive. Like there's just, there's just no way. And so God, then I got into therapy because therapy and Jesus, honey, that, that is just, everything they go hand in hand because the deep work has to be done so that when you move on to whatever calling God has for you, whatever uh, secondary call he has for you, you're not projecting your brokenness onto, yes. uh, onto whatever it is. Cause people already hurting. They don't need the additional pile on of your thing. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Henry now and in one of his books says, you know, the church leader who's not willing to come away um, to allow themselves to be healed uh, will end up becoming a shepherd who actually tries to eat yeah. his or her own sheep. Yeah. You're going to try to feast on them for your significance. You're going to try to feast on them for your approval. You're going to try to feast on them. And uh, thank you for doing the work. I mean, your, your story is a reminder that um, you know, when you get on the plane and they tell you in case of emergency, the oxygen mask drops down, you got to put the mask on yourself first. Yeah. And I just want to say to all of you that are on today, first of all, thank you again for being here. We're talking about this shift um, from moving from more guilt to more love. How do we create a culture of motivation inside of our church um, so that people are being motivated by the love of God and not shame or condemnation or the voice of their um, angry father or mother. And uh, Shalom's just been sharing her story about um, this work begins in us. Yes. It, it starts with our own practices of soul care, our own practices of doing the work 
to go back to find emotional healing, which may involve counseling. It may involve therapy. Uh, it'll definitely involve a triad. You need a safe space, a transparent space to be open with people. Yeah. Um, and it starts with us. We can't give away what we haven't received. Yeah. Um, so Brian, I wanted to kind of bring it to you next. Um, how is it then that we begin to extend that beyond ourselves? You know, as church leaders, we have oversight for um, our faith community and we're stewards of that culture. And we're the ones that kind of help design the pathways for people to grow in the fullness of God. And tell us a, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, if there's a church leader right now going, okay, I want that. I want people not motivated by me kind of cracking a whip or always pumping them up. I want them connected to the spirit. Uh, unpack where, where does, where does a church leader begin to kind of create a disciple making culture where that becomes normal? Are you tossing that to me or back to Shalom? I am. And then I'm going to bring it over to Shalom. I'm starting with you. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I'm going back and as y'all are talking and Shalom, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's an intimate, a very intimate level of, uh, of sharing of your own heart. And, uh, and I figured, you know, my story is very similar. I mean, I think we're created for affirmation. I mean, even Jesus comes out of the water and he hears God say words of affirmation. This is my son whom I'm, who I love, who I'm, with whom I'm well pleased. And, uh, and it's just so easy within this conversation to see myself 15 uh, years ago, even, you know, I'm, I'm not over this, but there were times where I was much more blind to it now than I, you know, am currently. And realizing that there wasn't really much happening through me to a greater audience because I was kind of pinching off whatever this Ephesians 3 mystery that Paul wants the people to get so bad. I was pinching it off because I was basically using my position to try to gain that affirmation through my success, like you said, Rob. And I remember more clearly deciding I am not going to allow that to be my fuel. I just want to be available uh, to be loved by God, to hear him say those words instead of my success say those words to my soul. And when I was able to rest in him giving me that affirmation, it's almost like it opened up the gates uh, for more people to experience him through me. It's easy. We talk all the way, you know, all the time about we as church leaders just have to get out of the way, you know, and let God do his thing. Well, what's the primary way we get out of the way? I would say it starts with this question that we're at talking about right here is getting that affirmation from our work or the people. And oh my gosh, think about how toxic this is. In order for me to feel affirmed, which I need, I need you to do this job so I look successful. That is a highly utilitarian way. And we'd probably not do that consciously or intentionally, but if that's the case, wow, that's, that's a soul wreck right there. But now we've got to start to turn the question, turn the corner and say, okay, if I'm really hearing affirmation from, from God himself, and I no longer need that from success, or I no longer need that from people, how do I help everybody else get that rest? How do I help everybody else? And, and not just a sprinkle of people. Like if my organization or my church is 300 strong, how do the 300 fill the lives of 3X that, 900? If I'm in a church of 5,000, how do all 5,000 get this? 
And uh, to me, it's, it's, it's creating environments where you actually do help people learn to abide with Jesus more intimately and a few others in the process. <laughs> and they model that. They, they succeed in that relationship first. They're able to abide with Jesus. They're able to hear from Jesus about what he wants to teach them on an individual level and then share what he's teaching them and, and what he's prompting people to do with what he's teaching them and, and a, in a level of like two or three other people where they actually start to see traction evolve because when people start to experience the power of Jesus alive in their life, in real time, helping them make those advancements. They don't just hear the words, well done. Yeah. They experience the joy and the fulfillment of living life more well done than the previous day. So how do we do that structurally? We can certainly get into that at some point, but I got on here to hear Shalom, not me. So <laughs> <laughs> that would be my answer. Yeah, how about you, Shalom? Uh, when it comes to created a culture in your church where this becomes the norm and not the exception. What are the priorities for you? Yeah. How does that become practical? As you were talking, Brian, the scripture in John 15 uh, came Nine up in the branches. my mind because yeah. I preached that forever. I don't think there is a time that I'm preaching that I do not bring it up. Um, it's if you abide in me and I abide in you, right, then you will bear more fruit. You bear much fruit. You know, I abide in him and he abides in me. And then that word abide, to dwell, to live, to be comfortable with, for God to be at home in me. I'm at home in me because God is at home in me. So how at home are you with you? And how at home do you want God to be in you? And that's something that I constantly make an emphasis on. How at home are you with yourself? Are you constantly running away from yourself? I told my kids at the dinner table, I'm like, I think you should be nice to yourself because you're never getting away from yourself. And, um, and so that is something also that applies with our relationship with God. It's for me is let's slow down to hear God. Let's slow down to hear the Holy Spirit. I'm someone that is deeply um, contemplative. Maybe it's the artist in me. I don't know, but um, I just, I like slowing down and spending time with Jesus. I can talk to God all day long. Every, I, in fact, I need people, I need to be paid just hanging out with Jesus. If that could happen, that would be great. <laughs> you know, just to just be and not have to worry about everything else. Because I believe that as we receive the love of God, as we learn to receive the love of God, which is mm. at the beginning, the hardest thing to do, right? Because we come with so much brokenness and so much burden, and we believe that we need to earn this presence, but he's already there with us. And if we remain in him, then he will remain. If we abide, if we stay, mm. then he stays. And out of that, uh, the rivers of living waters would then flow out of us into our world, right? Into my neighborhood, into my community, in my interactions, at my place of work, at, you know, Target when I'm in line, because this river of living water is already flowing to me and I'm letting it enter me so that it can then flow out of me. And so for me, that's 
And that's something that is a constant conversation is something that I always talk about. And then in our interaction, create opportunities for that to happen, for people to learn to slow down and to just be with God and to receive from him. Um, it it's definitely takes intentionality uh, because that's not something we're used to doing. As leaders, we like, um, we get into the word so we can find something to preach or to talk about, but we don't let the word of God get into us just for the sake of transforming us. Uh, and so that's just something that I emphasize all the time is, so what is God saying to you lately? And, and I ask that question, so what's God saying to you lately? What did God say today? And how is that transforming your life? Um, and so it forces people to then slow down to receive from God, to hear God, because he's always speaking. If we're not hearing, that's not on him. That's on us. We so, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I would answer that question is we, need, we slow down to create space for the spirit of God to come in and to brood over us. And then life can come out, right? Because in Genesis, it talks about at the beginning where it, it, it was without void. And then the spirit of God came and brewed over the waters. And then he spoke and then things came into being. And so we have to create space for that brooding to happen in our lives so that when we do speak, then God can just speak through us to impact um, our community, my neighbor. Yeah, you know, you're, what you're sharing again, I just, it reminds me of what, you know, when Jesus is describing his relationship with his father, you know, he says, uh, I can only do what I see the father doing. I can only say what the father has given me to say. Yes. Um, he did create that space. He would get up early in the morning and he would find retreat in simply being in the presence of his father. And apparently it was a posture of listening and openness. And, and so that, and I, I also hear you describing, um, you know, that sort of orientation with that simple question of what is, what is the spirit saying to you? And then developing kind of the, the spiritual habits of silence and solitude, and then beginning to order your life so that there is space for these things. Yeah. You know, that's beautiful. Am I hearing that right? You Maybe. are. You are. It's definitely a thing. Um, is that there is, you know, scripture talks about walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Mm. There is no walking in step with the Holy Spirit if you're not paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying. So for me to see the ways of God, I need to look like, God, what are you doing and where are you moving? Because before I get to a place, before I get to a situation, God is already there. I'm not like getting there and surprising him. I'm not getting there and waiting on him. He was there before I got there. And so my role then is to wait on God so that I can see the way he's moving then I can walk in step with him, not ahead of him or behind him, but in step following. But that requires that my eyes are on him. Yes. And so I have to create space for that. Yeah, Brian, I, I want to kick it over to you for a second. Um, yeah. You know, we're talking about this, 
Um, the spirit is leading. The spirit is speaking. Um, but we won't automatically pick that up. You know, human yeah. beings in default mode, it's like, all these voices chattering in our head and we're like dum, 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 distracted by this and that. So I think what Shalom is getting at is this connection between spiritual habits and our ability to be able to hear and respond to the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you unpack a little bit about um, what we call habits to outcomes? How is it that we practice the spiritual habits? Because I, I know um, there's been seasons in my life, especially when I was younger that I was practicing the spiritual habits, uh, but it was more like a religious drill. Yeah. And I, I was, you know, trying to prove to myself or to God or to other people, like how much I know about the Bible and how good I am and how, and, and that doesn't actually increase your receptivity to the spirit can actually deafen it. So yeah, there is a way approval to, seeking. Right. So what's this relationship between the spiritual disciplines and the Holy spirit and how do, how can those be done in a way that, so they are really connecting us to that deep well of living water. Well, I sure am glad you asked because um, you two are clearly more the mystical type than I am. Like you're describing this beautiful, artsy, abiding, just join the the power that's him and all hey, that. Shalom, and I love it. I'll, I'll play guitar and you can write the lyrics. And we'll, yeah, yes, and somebody needs to paint. Somebody <laughs> needs to paint. Um, but I'm more of this systems guy. Like you were talking, um, Shalom, about how God, you know, there was there was all this formlessness, and then God spoke. And then there was structure. Ah, and then Brian could breathe again. <laughs> what's what's the structure? Thank you for sending me <laughs> such a softball, Rob. That's that's awesome. Like, what are the what are the rails that this thing goes on? Because, like I said earlier, it's one thing to know that God has approved of me. It's another thing to experience His approval in and through me. Like one's an intellectual exercise. Another one is I am experiencing the actual redemption of who I am. And I'm experiencing it to such a degree that it's flowing out to others. You want to talk about motivating? I mean, we're talking about being motivated by love. And so we're basically asking the question, then what does that love look like? How does love change me from the inside out and then start to change other people? Because if I find myself as a link in that chain between heaven and the not yet completely restored on the planet, whether that's people or whether that's broken pockets of, of Satan's influence or whatever it is, you put me in the middle of that chain. You don't have to motivate me anymore. You just get out of my way and support me in my process of just living out the role. I know God called me to, does that make sense? So if that's kind of uh, what we get to do. So here's the outcomes that we talk about and, and, and they're there. And then the habits that are associated with them. Outcomes that we talk about are very simple. It's uh, fruit of the spirit and gifts of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Fruit of the spirit is who we're becoming. The gifts of the spirit are a, a clear indication of what we're to be doing. Mm-hmm. And here's the deal. You don't get a choice as to which one you do. You get the privilege of having both. Mm-hmm. You get to grow in spirit. We call that character. It's, it's the character of Jesus. He was loving. He was joyful. He was at peace. He was patient. He was kind. He was good. He was gentle. 
he was self-controlled and people liked him <laughs> and, and he liked people. You know, he was the full representation of God in character. Amen. And what Jesus is telling us is you abide in me. Guess what? I'll show you where you weren't loving. Yes. I'll show you where you're not exactly joyful or at peace or patient. And I'll give you an assignment, a micro assignment in that day that in your obedience, you'll become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful. Every day is a practicum of becoming the restored uh, person that I was created to be. And so when I do a habit like Bible engagement, Bible reading, journaling, I'm not doing them to check off a box. I'm not doing them to impress my uh, people in my small group. I'm not reading and sharing an answer so that I can sort of elevate myself. Mm. I'm participating in those habits to develop that fruit. Mm. And it's similar to the gifts of the Spirit or our calling. I mean, the gifts of the Spirit are just an element of our calling to participate in the Great Commission, to extend the shalom. I love that word. I love that name, shalom. You are a, a treasured uh, person with just that name, just being able to, that's an invitation to share what Jesus came here to do, is to bring shalom. I just love that. But I get to participate in that. And I have a unique way that I get to participate in that. I get to teach in order to bring the shalom of Jesus to the planet. I get to encourage. I get to pray. I get to heal. I get to whatever it is. So I don't volunteer just to simply check off a box. I don't volunteer to get my pastor to stop nagging at me. I don't volunteer just so that those kids have somebody to crowd control them. <laughs> I, volunteer. I volunteer so that I can truly develop my personal calling. Mm in order to bring the biggest impact for Jesus and into this planet. So are my habits important? Yes. What are they there to do? Are they to continue to reaffirm to me that I'm okay? <laughs> no, we've already talked about that. That's, that's cutting off God's power before it ever starts to work through us. Those habits are to help me accomplish those two outcomes of character and calling. And as I develop those two outcomes of character and calling, I become the one who's participating and I, and I'm living in that fullness and you can't pull me off of that. You can't pull me off of that. And we've watched thousands of people say, I don't need to be motivated anymore. Heaven has lit me mm. up. Mm. So Shalom in your, in your context, uh, there's a new follower of Jesus who's placed their trust in amazing grace and Jesus finished work. Um, what does it look like for them to begin the journey um, within one of your house churches? How is it that they begin to pick up um, the habits that will help them walk in step with the spirit practically on the ground, kind of paint a picture of what that looks like for you all in your yeah. environment? Yes, yes. Um, for us, that looks like being invited into um into discipleship. We have a discipleship pathway that is uh, for the centralized vision, right? But within the centralized vision, that pathway is like decentralized into the house churches. Excellent. And so we invite them into our discipleship pathway, which begins with rooted. Um, rooted is like exactly being rooted, deeply rooted and grounded in the love of God so that you, you're, you're understanding, you're not easily shaken so that you can grow into the matured Christian 
Uh, so we invite them into the rooted pathway, which um, we go through. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What is who is a disciple, and like what is that even about? And so we have these basic conversation, prayers, the importance of getting before God so that He can do the work of transformation in us, right? Mm-hmm. And then we t- teach about the importance of being in a Bible, the importance of confession. So we just get them into the discipleship pathway and begin to have these conversations with them where it's not usually one person because I've found that um, being in a group provides them accountability and partner to process things with. And so we just invite them into the process and, and, and carry on from there. And it's beyond this class that they take, right? It's being connected. We actually start a group chat where, um, you know, they get questions, text messages, and we talk, we encourage confession and, and stuff like that, and just connect with each other in that deep way. And after the rooted process, there's like just different pathway steps that we have where we encourage them to become storytellers, right? So now you have this experience with Jesus because my our goal is to have an encounter daily with Jesus, not just um, you know something that happened at this time and at this date, but a continuous experience encounter with Jesus and how that ties with their whole life. And then to tell the story, right? Begin to communicate, talk to people about it. This is what this is what my life was before, and this is what it is now. <laughs> and from the get-go, actually, we begin to ask them to pray. Who are you going to invite into this journey with you? Uh, because I don't play. And I, I need you to tell me prayerfully who is the next person you're going to bring into this journey with you, and how are you going to do that? And so from the beginning, there is the intention that you are going to multiply yourself mm-hmm. because when God pours love out on us, it's not so that, like Brian said, we're not supposed to get transformed so that we can feel all warm and fuzzy and just keep <laughs> it. That's not a transformational love. A love that transforms want to extend itself, right? It wants to reproduce itself. And so that's how I would invite um this person that just gave their life to Jesus. It's a process that we've done over and over again, invite people into a discipleship relationship that is formal. There is informal discipleship that is constantly happening, but the formal one is we invite them into our pathway. I love it. Yeah. So just kind of reflecting back highlights, um, they get invited into, um, it's, it's forged in community. So they're, they're in a house church within that community. They're going to have probably a tighter set of relationships and someone's going to invite them into um, rooted where they're going to learn seven different spiritual habits and begin to practice those. Mm. Um, And then I also hear you highlighting the value of mission uh, that you have a mission and Jesus is inviting you, this new disciple to also be a disciple maker. Um, so there's this fusion of community, spiritual habits, mm-hmm. mission, intentionality. 
Some parts are formal and organized, like, hey, we're working through seven habits. Yes. A bunch of it's informal. It's like we're doing life together. You're hearing from God. You're telling me about it. I'm challenging you and reflecting it back to you. Um, it, does that sound about right? Am I missing any of the key components in your it's guys' very, pathway? It's very right. Um, it's, that's, exactly, that's exactly it. We are intentional and formal, but at the same time, loose. You know, mm-hmm. it's where there's a structure there, but the structure there is so that we can flow within it. Um, we can have freedom within that structure. So, yeah, yeah it's definitely Christ-centered. We're not hanging out just to hang out. I want to, <laughs> yes. I want to, I want the transformational power of God to transform your life more than I just want to hang out. So good. So, Brian, let me come to you. Um, let, what, what would it look like for you, a new disciple in your context that you're discipling um, for Shalom in their context, they're, they're using Rooted. It's the house church environment. Um, let me kind of pass the deal. Let's give us another picture of what it looks like. I'll go back to when we were at Westside Family Church, you know, those house churches, so to speak, were the small groups. You know, we did our very best to take those people that had considered themselves to be a part of our church by participating in our weekend services to kind of take a next step of connectivity that was more like that house church. And that was our small groups. And we had a real defined system. And a lot of people uh, probably on this call, particularly through Exponential, are familiar with some of those strategies of how to invite people from the weekend service into small groups. Uh, And we did small groups uh, very intent in order to kind of identify who are the people that by choosing to lead one of those groups self-identified as a high potential candidate to be discipled. And it was wise to do that because if we could disciple them and they have 10 people in their group, we would indirectly disciple those 10 by developing that one. So it was a very, you know, intentional structure in that regard. And so um, what we would do is we would get, these people would start leading a small group. We would, we had coaches that were mentoring them along the way that we had actually discipled previously, all volunteers. And they would um, discern these people are probably ripe for a next phase. And for us, that next phase is a six month journey that has a lot of the core elements that Rooted does. Uh, but has kind of a, an additional aspect of that personal calling development baked in. It's a longer experience. I think is rooted 10 weeks. Shalom. Is that right? Is, no, our, is that a, we, we made ours six weeks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I've got so many friends that have experienced rooted and they think it's the very best thing that's ever happened. And, uh, and I asked them to tell me like, what's in, what's involved? Well, we tell our stories. We, we repent of our brokenness. We, mm. we learn what it means to engage scripture and talk to Jesus and all these other things. It's like, well, that's the same thing we're doing. We must probably read now the same book <laughs> and rooted, <laughs> you know, rooted, uh, came out about three years after we started doing these disciples made group. Well, it became popular in America about three Three years after we had started doing this. So the synergy was between them was so powerful, but ours is six months long. And in that process, you're focused on those two outcomes of character and calling relentlessly committed to those. And you're reading other people's materials that create cognitive tensions between like, we're talking about love. Like, how do I grow in love? Well, I need to know that I'm loved and accepted no matter what, but I also need to know that God didn't love me where I am to leave me where I am. 
He does have this picture of holiness in Jesus that he invites us and actually commands us uh, to move toward. So, you know, am I love no matter what, or does God expect me to be holy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you can teach a sermon to try to describe that, but in our followers made experience, these people walk back and forth between reading other people's books and develop these cognitive tensions that, well, one of those books is Prodigal God, right? If you've read Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God, it's the older brother and the younger brother. And uh, the younger brother is the one who needed to be loved unconditionally, and he was, but the older brother is the one that didn't know how to live with it. And because of his commitment to legalistic righteousness, he missed out on the party. And I wonder how many people are serving these days or doing all the checkboxes to get that affirmation, which is what the older brother was after, instead of the affirmation uh, from the father. He was just out to get the inheritance. So anyway, that's what we would do, Rob. We would invite them into that six-month journey, which really helped them experience that transformational power. And then, of course, there's experiences after that, but that's that's what we would do to take those folks to the next level. And it would impact or in, in turn direct an exponential number of people because of that influence. Well, I, I want to ask uh, both of you, uh, as we're kind of getting to the tail end of our conversation, um, you know, there's a lot of church leaders that in the midst of COVID, you know, it's been kind of a reckoning and it's been, um, you know, the, the uncertainty that we've all faced, um, the loss of life, um, the um, isolation of quarantine um, and then how it's impacted the way the church has been able to move and be organized. Uh, a lot of churches have been, their primary sort of organizing engine has been the weekend services. That's been dramatically hampered. Um, so I've seen just an incredible surge in very humble, hungry church leaders who are saying, you know, I don't want to miss this opportunity to rebuild. And I realized the way that we had this built, where it was so dependent on the weekend to kind of get people to a group, to get people hopefully to some deeper discipleship. And a lot of church leaders are asking, like, how do we, how can I rebuild this around disciple making environments is the main thing. Um, I'm just curious, you know, for both of you, uh, for the church leader who's asking that question, um, where would you encourage them to start? Like they're, they're ready to, uh, see the, uh, their church become like a hothouse for disciple making, you know, to put all the ingredients in. So it's very conducive and, you know, for disciples to flourish and multiply, um, just at the end is a word of encouragement. Where would you, um, challenge them to begin? What, what would be a first step to consider? Either one of you can go first, whoever's got something in mind. Shalom, you go. Um, I would say allow God to speak to you, right? Because um, it could just, this this period, right, it's like, it's, it's, it's very likely that a lot of us are reacting in a way that um, we can say afterwards we made it through. Right. And so it could just be another exercise in people pleasing, in Mm. uh, finding ways to affirm yourself. So I would say 
whatever it is that you're wanting to do, spend time with God to make sure that this is what he's wanting you to do. Because before we got to the pandemic, God saw it was coming. It wasn't like a surprise to him. And so he knows the way, right? He just, he just does. He knows the way. And you have to trust that he knows the way. And it's his church. That's a, as a church planner, very early on, I'm like, God, they are your people. You love them more than I do. So what do you want Mm. to do? Yes. And so that's what I would say. And then uh, get with someone and start brainstorming, depending on how you function, right? Uh, Brian is a, a structure strategy guy find somebody that that's their strength and start to you know to think through prayerfully god where where do you want me to go which direction do you want me to go how do you want to see your people loved and cared for and then just go with it um something that god has taught me during this period he's like shalom like um i can auto correct you if i need to so I'm not afraid to I'm not I'm I'm not afraid to make decisions. I just jump because I'm like, God, catch me. <laughs> so he, can, he can catch you. He can autocorrect. He loves his people infinitely more than you possibly can. Yes. And so we just need to trust that and, and do what he says. Amen. Thank you. How about you, Brian? Oh, that's so awesome. Shalom. Thank you for just starting it right there. I think that's spot on. The things that I would add are just complimentary to that. Um, One of the things that you said earlier, Shalom, is that most of our, as pastors, professional Christians, our time in the word is to figure out what to get out for somebody else or a group of people. And um, there's a premise that I talk about a lot, which is you can only reproduce what you are. So you, if, if you don't want to reproduce that, you want to reproduce something more, you have to become that more. Yeah. So I, I, would say, I would say the thing that I would do right away is recognize that disciple making doesn't happen on a weekly basis. It happens on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And you have every opportunity to engage with at least two other people in your life on a daily basis around scripture um, and in interaction with Jesus, I would say, go on you version, pick a Bible reading plan, a simple one, if you need to invite two or three other people to join you. And then just open up a text thread between those two or three people. And every day when you go in and read that chapter in the Bible reading plan, ask two questions, Jesus, what are you teaching me? And what do you want me to do about it? And then answer those two questions in that text thread. And then just encourage each other back and forth to keep that up. So if you, 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 if you, you got to become what you want to reproduce. And if you want to be, if you want to share the fullness of Christ, you've got to be filled with the fullness of Christ. And that is one of the most rudimentary ways that you can do it. So that's what I would do. If you're not there, if you want to become more systemic and do a three within a 12, you can certainly uh, follow us up on that followers made thing that uh, I posted earlier, which is our structured way to do that uh, with a with a growing number of people. And so we can actually teach you that we've got an opportunity coming up after the seminar that Rob might mention here in a minute um, for you to learn more about that if interested. But it's as simple as getting two other people, three other people doing a Bible reading plan and asking those questions and sharing your answers. 
Yeah. Yeah. I hear you both basically saying you need to personally hear the voice of God and obey. And you have to do it in community. That's where it begins. Uh, Be a disciple who's making disciples. Thank you both of you so much for your time today. This has been such a meaningful conversation. Shalom. If people want to connect with you or learn more about what you're doing, where's the best place for them to go? Um, Shalomledic.com or um, Facebook, uh, the church, resurrectionlifechurch.com, reslifechurchaz.com. It's a good way, also a good place to connect. But yeah, or text me. (laughs) Hey, it's so good to hang with you today. Thank you for being here. And uh, Brian, as always, thank you, brother. Uh, Brian did mention if you're interested in exploring um, followers made at a deeper level, um, immediately following this, Brian's going to be over in a Zoom room. Uh, I can walk through followers made. Uh, We're going to drop a link into the chat. Um, So feel free to come on over, learn a little bit more about it. It may be a solution that works for you in your context. I also just want to mention again, the exponential roundtables. In lieu of the pandemic, rather than everybody gathering in one place and forming a super spreader event, uh, Expo is wisely um, sharing ownership of exponential and saying, hey, do you have a table? Do you have a space where a smaller number of people could safely gather, maybe 40 people or 50 people? Uh, And Expo's created nine different options for these roundtable events. Uh, One of them is actually made for more, and it's a deeper dive into the mobilization framework of Exponential. You can learn more about that at multiplication.org backslash post. We hope you will. And uh, with that said, hey, next week, uh, we're going to look at shift number four, uh, which is about uh, reimagining the leadership culture of the church. And we're going to look specifically at um, Ephesians chapter four, and we will have Alan Hirsch and Rich Robinson uh, on this call next weekend. So, uh, or rather next week, uh, it'll be so fun. We're just going to let the call spill over into the weekend. It's just going to be a, a party, a three-day party. <laughs> so I hope you'll join us for that conversation. And thanks again for being here. Uh, go in grace and peace.